You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We are the Sunday before Christmas. I can't believe we're here already. I don't know how you're all feeling. It feels a little weird this year, doesn't it? it, Am I wrong? Um... But we should start with the text from Christmas anyways. If you don't know, the Christmas story begins this way. Uh, There's an old couple. They haven't had children, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is a priest, and he ends up receiving uh, a visit from an angel that says, you're going to have a child, and and, and he's in disbelief, and he doubts the angel, and the angel says, now you're not going to be able to talk for the whole duration of the pregnancy. Which, if you're Zechariah, you're like, that feels like a curse. But if you're Elizabeth and your husband can't speak for nine months during your pregnancy, in your old age, she's like, this is a blessing from the Lord. That's not in the text. I'm just reading between the lines, but I feel like my wife would have been excited. <laughs> Jabel is over there preaching. Um, and they end up with child. Six months later, uh, Mary, a relative, we don't know if it's a cousin or a niece of Elizabeth. Um, uh, Elizabeth is way older, but they could be cousins, could be niece. Mary, this young woman, is also receives a a a visit from an angel, and she is told she's going to be with child as well. And she says, how can this be? I don't have a husband. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come over you, and you will conceive And she says, let it be done to me as you have said. And immediately from that story, Mary gathers her stuff and she runs out to visit Auntie Elizabeth in the hill country. And upon entering the house, uh, there's such joy that even the, the children in utero recognize each other, John the Baptist and Jesus. And John the Baptist leaps for joy at six months along. And they embrace, and then Mary breaks out in song. And her song goes like this. My soul magnifies the Lord. He has looked upon his servant in lowly estate, in my lowly state. Generations upon generations will call me blessed. And then she says this. And this is from her song. It's called the Magnificat, which means uh, my soul magnifies the Lord. She says, he has shown strength, God, with his arm, and he has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations, and he has pulled the powerful down from their thrones, and he has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with food, with good things. Oh, y'all, my eyes. And sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy just as he has promised to our ancestors. For Mary, Christmas is about God entering into the world to do what God had always promised to do, to make things right, just, and good. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you have any questions, uh, there's, the, there's the thing. Send them, please. Um, anything I say. Uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series about Advent, about candles, about themes and goals for our, our walk, our journey in discipleship. 
This is Fleming Rutledge. She says Advent, which is the time leading up to Christmas, is a time of making a fearless inventory of the darkness. And so sometimes we get all celebratory, but there's times where we're supposed to be introspective and thoughtful. And so we're going to do that. We're thinking about our own spiritual journeys on the way to Christmas because we're remembering the people who are waiting for God to show up the first time, and we're remembering that we are waiting for God to show up again to make things right, good, just in the world. We do that usually in the time of Advent through the candles, uh, and that candles are hope, peace, joy, and this Sunday is love, and the last one is Jesus, the Christ candle. I told you my bosses gave me five themes that they want us to be talking about, about who we are as a church and how we as individuals are growing in Jesus. Um, it's called that. We talked about cross-cultural collaboration. We talked about life-giving holiness. We talked about Christ-compelled multiplication last week. Today, we're talking about love-driven justice. And lastly, we're going to be talking about Jesus, God-given revelation. That's what the candles, that's what we're doing. Make sense? Kind of. Clear as mud today, love-driven justice. Let's start off with some definitions so that we know what we're talking about when we're talking about this. When I think of the word justice and the meaning of justice, I think of Cornell West's definition. He says, justice is what love looks like in public. And I can't think of a better one. It's what love looks like in public for all of us, for everyone, including strangers, including our enemies. Biblical justice is based really in one theological truth, that all humans are equal before God as image bearers of God and have the right to be treated with respect, dignity, and fairness. I mean, this is page one of Scripture. That humanity is created in the image of God, and therefore, as God's image bears, all human life from beginning to end is to be respected and treated with respect and dignity. Lastly, I think when we talk about justice, it's helpful to know that there are primarily two forms of justice that are talked about. One is retributive and one is restorative. You may know this word better as retribution. This is punishment. Sometimes when we talk about justice, we talk about punishment. If somebody does something wrong, we sometimes enter into retributive justice. This is biblical. This happens. We trust that God is going to do this when God comes again in making all things right and good, that evil will be punished and banished, right? But also primarily what Scripture is talking about when they talk about justice is restorative, making things right and whole. And complete. If I steal something from Matt, <laughs> mostly jokes and ideas. <laughs> Some of our biggest arguments are like, remember when I came up with that? And he was like, I 100% came up with that. And uh, anyways, if I steal something from Matt, I can be punished and maybe should be but that's not where justice ends. It also needs to be restorative. I need to make it right. I need to repair the relationship, but also restore the things that I damaged. This happens all the time in Scripture. They talk a lot about animals, but we can get to the principle underneath, right? If I accidentally kill one of your sheep or a flock of your sheep, I need to figure out how to make that right. 
It's not enough for me to just go to jail or be punished. There needs to be some restoration. Sometimes I think this is what we're lacking in our society. We have a very strong retributive understanding of justice, but uh, both of these are biblical ideas of justice. What's the bad news when it comes to justice? We do bad news so we can better receive the good news. I think this is the bad news. Maybe, maybe not. Bear with me. We are largely uninterested in injustice. Unless it directly impacts us or affects us, largely uninterested. And I know this is true, and I'm going to be vulnerable with you. We can be real here, right? I buy a lot of my shirts at Walmart, and I know that they don't treat their factory workers well. I've read all the articles. I did a whole undergrad in sociology. All we did was read about how bad Walmart is. I know. Here's just last year what happened. Remember when we all went into quarantine and everything had to close down? A lot of these major corporations, including Walmart, said, I know you already made all the clothes that we ordered, and I know a lot of them are already on ships, but we're not going to pay you for them because we're going into lockdown. And these poor Bangladeshi people were like, we're out millions of dollars. And in our culture, that is a lot of money. And it's like four and a half million workers are now impacted because these large corporations refuse to pay for the things that they ordered and were made. And on and on and on, I can tell you stories about factories collapsing and 1,500 people dying. I can tell you all the human rights violations that they're finding in some of these factories where, where kids are being enslaved to make clothes. And then I go in there because sometimes it's the only store open at 11.30 at night, and that's when I do stuff. And I go, that shirt's only $4? This shirt is only $4? I'm largely uninterested in injustice because it doesn't directly impact me, and it's even worse because I know, right? I know better. A lot of us don't know, and that's part of our disinterestedness. Is that a word? You can take that for me. Disinterestedness. Look it up. Uh, a lot of us don't know, and that's part of the problem, but even when I know, sometimes convenience, cost, this is Charles Bukowski. He's a famous poet uh, in 1900s America. I guess the, ol uh, the only time most people think about injustice is when it happens to them, right? The other problem with justice and injustice is maybe the, one of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther King. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, but because of our uninterestedness, uh, we let it run rampant. Yeah? Are you with me? You feeling conviction yet? Good. Good news. What does God want us to know with our heads? What is the information God wants us to have about justice? What does God want us to experience? What kind of character is God developing in us? What, what, what's going on with our own personal lives when it comes to this topic? And what are we supposed to do about it in the world around us? A wholehearted faith from our head to our hearts to our hands so it doesn't get trapped here and here, but has a full expression all the way through. And I think with our head, I just have a quote from a pastor uh, named A.W. Tozer, and he says, justice is not something that God has. Justice is something that God is. A.W. Tozer was a, a brilliant theologian and church leader through the uh, Missionary Alliance. God has, but something that God is. Justice is integral to the character and work of God, and the scripture reveals this to us over and over and over again. Your throne, O Lord, is built on righteousness 
and justice, tzedakah and mishpat. These words are going to be repeated a million times. Psalm 33, God loves righteousness and justice. The psalm that we read this morning, mighty king, lover of justice, you are the one who established what is fair. Over and over again, the scriptures reveal to us that this is a core characteristic to who God is. And sometimes we overemphasize the love of God, and sometimes we forget about the justice of God, but that is certainly and partly there. So much so, this is a famous Old Testament scholar, Christopher Wright. He tells a story in one of his books called Salvation Belongs to Our God. He was in India, and he met a a man who was teaching engineering. Uh, He was teaching engineering at, at a university in India, from India, And he says, I came to faith by seeing that God is a God of justice. He says, let me tell you my story. I grew up in the Dalit caste. If you don't know, India has about five castes, and the bottom is Dalit. They are sometimes called the untouchables. And he grew up in that part of the system. And he said, we got taken advantage of regularly. People stole from us. They would, and with, with no justice... And it seemed like no one cared, and all we could do is just receive oppression. And he said, I became so bitter and so angry, I was going to get up and get retribution. I was going to get retributive justice on these fools. And so he said, education was my only path. I studied so hard, I became a professor in engineering. But when I first got to university, there was a Bible in my dorm room, that was in my language. And I just flipped the Bible open randomly. You got a two-thirds shot, you're going to hit the Old Testament. And he started reading Old Testament law and Old Testament stories. And he said, I saw a God in there who cared about the oppressed and the marginalized and the poor and the people who were experiencing injustice. And he said, it wasn't that I didn't have a God. I had thousands of gods to choose from. A direct quote was, I'd never heard of a God like this. And he said, I met with some Christians, and they introduced me to Jesus. And I didn't like Jesus that much because I, I wanted God to get retributive justice on these fools. And Jesus was like, maybe that's not good for your heart. Maybe we should talk about forgiveness and love. And he was like, I don't want to do that. But ultimately, Jesus won him over. And now he's a Christian, a Christ follower in his area because he encountered God, that justice is so integral to who God is. It is the foundation of God's enthronement, the psalm tells us. Lastly, what I want you to know is that there are some primary recipients of God's justice in Scripture. Over and over again, the Scriptures tell us about a group of people, three, four, sometimes five, depends on the verse you get. These are God's protected classes of people that God cares about deeply. God's protected classes of people are the poor, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant. In this culture, these folks were the most vulnerable. It was patriarchal, right? Men are the ones who could own land. It was an agricultural-based thing. You needed to have some land. If the man was gone, you became in a bad situation quick. You couldn't have land. You didn't have someone to protect you. 
everything was centered around this thing called a bet ob, the, the, the father's house. If you didn't have a man in your life, you didn't have a bet ob, you didn't have a community to help you, to protect you. You weren't able to be taught how to do life in the community, and so you began to be ostracized. Or if you're an immigrant, it was hard to be own land or get participation in a longstanding community. And so over and over again, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor come up when God is talking to us about justice over, over. Deuteronomy 10, God enacts justice for orphans and widows, and he loves immigrants, giving them food and clothing. That means you must also love immigrants because you were immigrants in Egypt. Do not oppress the widow, the orphan, and the sojourner, or the poor, Zechariah tells us. Over, 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 this becomes core and key to this. Justice is so core to God's character. Jesus even says that we can find him when we serve them. Matthew 25, a little bit longer of a passage. Jesus is telling the story about when I return, I'm going to be riding on clouds and I'm going to have so many angels, it's going to blow your mind. And when I get here, I'm going to gather everyone together and I'm going to split them up and one side is the sheep and one side is the goats. And contrary to what the media is telling you, I promise you, you want to be a sheep in this story. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you. Come, you who will receive good things from my Father. Inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. I was hungry and you gave it to me. Thirsty, naked, imprisoned. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was sick and you took care of me. This, you're going to get all the good stuff because of that. Those who did all that good stuff said to him, We didn't know we were doing that. When did we see you, Lord, hungry, feed you, thirsty, naked, a stranger? When did we do all that stuff that you just said? And then Jesus the king will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you've done it to me. Justice is so core and integral to who God is that when we do acts of service and justice to the least of these, Jesus says we are doing them to him directly. Amen? Feel good? Great. What does God want us to feel? What does God want us to experience in the midst of this truth that justice is core to who God is and God cares deeply about this? Jesus, this is so important to Jesus that he prefers that we do acts of justice even over pursuing religious experience. Justice enacted is more important than religious experience. This is a theme that is true all the way through scripture. Amos tells us, Amos is wild. You want to read a prophet that cares about justice? Read Amos. He's saying, listen, God's going to destroy this whole place because you don't care for, for folks, folks that are oppressed and marginalized. Five, he says, establish justice at the city gate. I hate your festivals. I don't enjoy your joyous assemblies. Take away the noise of your songs. I'm not going to listen to the melody of your sweet electric guitars anymore. I'm out. Unless... You let justice roll like waters, like a mighty river, and righteousness like a never-ending stream. Justice enacted even over religious experience. James 1.27, the brother of Jesus, tells us, True devotion, the kind that is pure and faultless before God the Father, is this, to take care of orphans and widows in their difficulties. 
By the way, orphans, I think in our mind, orphans, because we have this concept of like, uh, I don't know, this Dickensian 1800s idea of orphanages, it's people who've lost both parents. In this culture, if you lost any parent, were abandoned by, if you had only one parent or no parents, you were an orphan. Which, in, in this definition, we have lots of folks in our community that are orphans. Lots of women who are without support. True devotion is to take care of orphans and widows and their difficulties. Matthew 23, Jesus is going on a tirade against religious people, which I love. But it scares me as now a professional religious person, I guess. Keeps me humble. How terrible it will be for you legal experts and Pharisees. Hypocrites, he tells them. You give God a tenth of your mint and your dill and your cumin. You don't have to put that in the offering plate. I, keep your mint. I don't need anything that tastes like toothpaste. Maybe some dill and cumin, though. But you forget about the weightier, more important matters of the law, namely justice, peace, and faith. You blind guides, you filter out an ant or a gnat, depending on your translation, but swallow a camel. Jesus is saying, you are tithing on the herbs that grow in your garden wildly, the small things, but you forget about the big things. He has a, he's saying, listen, you're getting ready to drink something, and you saw that there was a, a little bug in it, and you get the bug out, but you don't take the camel out. We're so focused sometimes on doing it right that we forget why we're doing it in the per- first place. And this is especially true when it comes to religion because there's a lot of people who are going to make their money and keep their position by telling you that they know how to do it the right way. And if you just follow them, they could teach you how to do it the right way. But Jesus over and over again, and Scripture over and over again, tells us this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This, if you know Jewish Old Testament customs, that was their whole religious practice. You brought an animal to get it sacrificed. And Jesus, in Matthew 9, is quoting Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. Even in the Old Testament, God's saying, I don't, it's not about killing the animals and putting them on the fire. As delicious as that is, I'd rather you do that stuff. I'd rather you practice mercy towards one another. That is the goal of the religious practice, is to get you to be a person who cares about injustice and oppression in the journey of your fellow human beings and neighbors. But sometimes we get so focused on doing it the right way, we forget why we do it in the first place. Pastors love to tell the story, and I, I hate to tell stories that pastors love to tell, but it really does, it really is what came to mind last night. Maybe you know this story, but the story is there was a person. I'm making ham. This, I, I'm so done with turkey, y'all. Never again. I don't care if I ever eat turkey ever again. Thank you. Uh, so I'm doing ham. My grandma did ham and ravioli. She's from her family's from Sicily. Ham and raviolis, and I said, you know what? That's as good a family tradition as I get. Let's do ham and raviolis for Christmas. If you want some of that, come on over. Christmas, 3 p.m. It's yours. But the story goes like this: Someone was making a ham, and they had to cut it in half put it in the oven. The person watching them do this said, why, why did you cut it in half? And they said, that's how my mother taught me. 
And so when their mother came over for dinner, that person said, I need to know why you cut your ham in half before you put it in the oven. And the mom said, I don't know. That's how my mom taught me. When grandma gets here, let's ask her. Grandma shows up for dinner and they said, Grandma, why did, why did you cut your ham in half before you... We think it's because it sucks up more juice, right? Holds more of that glaze. Grandma's like, no, my oven was too small, right? <laughs> I just cut it half. Sometimes we get focused on how we're doing it. We get blinded by the how of it that we forget about the why. And this is certainly true about religious expression, following Jesus. Sometimes we get caught up in the hows of it what we prefer when it comes to music or the version of the Bible we like or the style of preaching we like, and we forget that all of that should be to encouraging us to be more like Jesus, loving those around us, everyone, including our enemies, but with special preference for those who are struggling and marginalized and vulnerable. I just said this. This is uh, Rene Padilla. Uh, is an Scholar of missiology and evangelism. He passed away earlier this year. Uh, he's from Ecuador. He was an incredible man. And, and one of the contributions that he kept bringing up throughout the 1900s in large stages was this. This is his quote to end this point. The practice of justice is at the center of God's purpose for human life. It is so closely related to the worship of the living God that no act of worship is acceptable to God unless it is accompanied by concrete acts of justice. One of my favorite stories is when Jesus talks about if you're coming to worship at the altar and you're bringing your gift, whatever it is that you're bringing, mint, cumin, and dill, I guess, or whatever else you got, and you remember that somebody's mad at you, leave worship. Just walk out and go be reconciled. I don't know a preacher alive who's like, just skip church and try to figure out how to get along with each other. And that's what Jesus tells us because worship is so integral, justice is so integral to who God is that worship must include justice. Our religious practices are to make us more like Jesus, core to Jesus' character and mission is love-driven justice. I'm heading to my last point. If you've got any questions, comments, criticisms... Send them, and we will do it. What did God want us to do? I'm sorry I don't have a, a hard-hitting statement here, but it's just as simple as this. Just do justice. Maybe the passage, if you grew up in church, that you know the best when it comes to justice is Micah 6.8. God has told you, O man, O human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you. You know what God requires from you. You already know it. God has let you know. It's this. Do justice. Right? Love mercy or embrace faithful love, this translation has. And walk humbly with your God. This is what God requires of you. This is God's expectation of you. Do justice. Notice nothing in here. Sacrificing animals, right? Spiritual practices. Do justice. That is the end goal of all of our worship. Another one of those stories that pastors like to tell that I didn't want to tell, but I think is helpful, so I'm going to tell it. Maybe you know it. It's a parable. But it talks about a river, and there's a city downstream from the river, 
And every once in a while, they'd look out and they would see humans floating down the river in distress, struggling, not going to make it. And the folks from the city were really good-hearted and they would swim out there and they'd grab these people and they'd bring them back. And when it was children, they'd find them homes. And, and it happened so often that the city did some really incredible stuff, like they would build a lookout tower with a bell. And every time they saw these humans floating down the river in distress, ring the bell and the whole town would come out and they'd get these people and they would figure out how to help them. And that's important. That's relief work. That's mercy. That's compassion. We need to do that stuff. But finally, one day, someone said, why are there humans floating down the river? Where are these people coming from? Maybe we should figure that out. We're spending a lot of time rescuing people. Maybe we can do an, an ounce of prevention. And so some of them went up the hillside and found an abusive city that was just throwing people in the river. And they were able to put a stop to it. And they stopped the oppression of these people from happening. That is justice. Your compassion and your mercy and your relief and your help are helpful, and we need to keep doing that. But justice is figuring out the source of the issue and trying to address it. So how do we do justice? I have a couple ways that we can do it. You can figure this out. You can research it. You should read books on it. It's important, as we've talked about. If you want some book recommendations, I could definitely send them to you. I think part of it is that we need to have a firm conviction to universal equality. That since all humans are created in the image of God, then all humans are inherently equal and worthy of dignity and respect. And I think our culture does that well. At least we say that out loud well, that we believe that. After that, I think we need to move into a place of radical generosity, a way of sharing our resources so that those who are struggling, oppressed, marginalized, are able to have some relief. And it probably should go even further where we are making sure that people are set up for success, for flourishing, for thriving. And then lastly, I think we need to be good listeners to people who are struggling because I know we think we know the solution, but sometimes we just need to listen and they'll let us know. And if I had another hour, I could go into why this is really important, but I don't. Listen, be good listeners, but then be loud with your voice about these injustices, about the struggles that people are facing. Be advocates for the widow and the poor and the orphan and the immigrant, etc., Jesus says, the naked, the imprisoned, the hungry. Where should we start with this, doing justice stuff? I would love for you to start right here. Because if we as the body of Christ can't figure this out, no one out there is going to listen to us. I hope this place can be a place where we support each other, where we're hearing about each other's problems, where there's equality, where we can talk about hard things that we're facing from our different cultural experiences or, or different class experiences, and we can overcome that and become one body in Jesus Christ. And I hope that can happen here, that there would be a sharing that would happen, that, that your problems would become my problems and my problems would become your problems in a way that we are bearing one another's cross and burdens. 
And that that would be a beautiful picture to the world about the just God that we love and serve. And then I would love for you to think locally at first. Imagining the problems in our community. There aren't very many. There's a ton. Think about the problems in our community. And I'm going to tell you later, the question I'm just, your spiritual practice is, that what does love require of me in these situations? I think it means, at least in part, that we listen to folks who are struggling. I think it means, in part, that we resist from blaming them for the situation that they're in, at least at first, right? I think it means, in part, when Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, to try to help them in a way that we would want to be helped. There's a lot of ways to do this. I don't want to be prescriptive, but I'd love for us to be thinking about it. Questions, comments? criticisms, answers to any questions that I post. I did get a lot of questions, but I'm not sure. We have a burn pile at our house. We could do a bonfire there. Okay. We might be in business, y'all. Do you have any concrete examples of what justice can look like in our community? Um, a difficult question because we're, A, I just want to say we're, our society is super polarized. And the frustrating thing to me is that we're polarized over solutions to problems, which we probably shouldn't be. There's no prescriptive advice in scripture on how to do justice only that we are to do justice and i would pray that love driven justice means that we'll let people pursue the conclusions and solutions that they think the holy spirit wants them to pursue so i'm going to be chill about what i think because i think all kinds of things and i get in trouble for it so i'll just be quiet but uh but um I want to say that. I want to say that uh, what we do know is that we should be about justice. We should be about helping the widows and the orphans, those who are struggling with hunger or houselessness, right? There's other injustices in our community. Anything that violates that idea that all are created in the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect. Um, And I'm going to let folks figure out the solutions to that. Scripture does give some solutions. I know you asked about concrete examples. I'm working my way up. Uh, one of the ones I love from Deuteronomy 24 is that if you're a farmer, you get to go through and try to get, all of, get, your, get your food, but you don't get to pass through again. If you have olive trees and it looks ripe and you get, all, you get the ripe olives off there, you don't get to take the second batch that's not ripe enough yet. You have to leave that for this group of people, widows, orphans, immigrants, and so what I love about one of these solutions is that, like, our culture tells you to maximize profit on everything you got. And Scripture's like, it all belongs to God, and you need to make sure you're sharing with folks around you, especially these, these folks. But I think there's a lot of concrete examples of injustice in our community. Um, I think our culture still struggles with inequality when it comes to race. I think our culture struggles when it comes to inequality when it comes to the poor, 
like who gets access to education or the types of education, who gets to get health care, right? Who gets to have a home. Um, and I know we're doing a lot of really great things when it comes to this, and there's a lot of great safety nets that I think we can help people get a part of. But I'm going to be thinking about concrete examples when it comes to that group of people. Poor, immigrant, orphan, and widow. And in my definition of orphan widow, I'm thinking of single parents and uh, kids that have only one parent or less. Um, in our schools, which is one of the reasons I work so hard in our school system, um, by the state's definition, 90% of kids in Thermalito come from homes that are socioeconomically disadvantaged. So that's a concrete example for me. A lot of those folks are struggling with either language or food scarcity at home or transportation, or we even have a, a homeless population of students who don't have consistent homes. And so I think a lot of these things are present right, right next to us. But there's lots of different things. Lots. Caring for women downtown helps people that are pregnant and not feeling like they have a lot of options. And that is part of what we're talking about when we talk about justice. Justice for the unborn, right? Because all human life, we believe, is worthy of dignity and respect. And so I think what God, whatever God's laying on your heart, you should pursue. But I'm not going to let you get away with not doing any justice. I'm at least going to keep talking about it. Thanks for the question. Thanks for letting me ramble for about four minutes. Try not to... Uh, stir up the bees nest as they were um, here's the summary and then we're going to move into a time of communion what god wants us to know is that justice is something that that god is it's core to god's character with your heart god wants you to know that justice enacted is preferable even over religious experience and with our hands it just wants us to do justice Allowing Jesus to use our resources, voices, convictions to impact the world around us. And I would love for you to be thinking about that this week as we light our candles. What does love require of me? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this encouragement. Thank you for this candle. Thank you for this uh, idea of justice and its prevalence in our life. Prevalence to who you are. Would you, Father, help us to see the importance of it? Would you help us to live it? Would you help us to experience it? Would you help us to have eyes open to vulnerable people around us that you care about deeply and you want us to care about as well? Would you help us to be people that are radically generous and loud advocates for those experiencing hardship, distress, oppression, marginalization, who have a lack of voice. Especially during this season when our eyes are already open to the blessings that we're receiving and we often are looking for folks that are struggling because we want to be a blessing to them as well. Would you help that to continue on past this season and into just our whole life work? And we will give you great thanks and great praise as we do so. Table Church, will you help me end this prayer by praying the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.